There was one day that I got off the stage and I thought, fuck this. I am not going to do another event where at the end I recommend a man's book. I'm going to write my own book. Hi, I'm Abby Gibb and welcome to the Full Body Fuck Yes podcast, a Soulfire production. This is an investigation and honoring of who we get to become in the process of embodying our dreams. If you're a rule breaker, paradigm shifter, and movement maker of today, then this leadership podcast is for you. It's time to finally take up more room on the page of your life. Welcome to the Full Body Fuck Yes podcast. Are you ready to learn how to get everything you want in life from how to negotiate your revenue to speaking fees? What to do when someone asks to pick your brain, I know, and how to hold boundaries with friends. All I've done in the last few years is step into the full power that I always had, but was afraid to embrace. Meet Alex Carter, bonafide badass. She's a world-renowned negotiation trainer for none other than the United Nations and Fortune 500 companies. I think sometimes as women, we're scared of not having enough power. And sometimes we're scared of the tremendous power we have. And maybe other people have been scared of that. She's also a clinical professor of law and the director of the Mediation Clinic at Columbia Law School. Professor Carter's first book, Ask for More, 10 Questions to Negotiate Anything, is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And she's about to blow your mind. Now, this episode actually comes from a recording of my high-end mastermind called the Divine Feminine Leadership Academy. So you're going to hear some questions from some of those other women inside of that group. I know you listen to this podcast because you're ready to turn your personal story into a global movement, right? And I can help. The Media Visibility Accelerator is the number one marketing course for purpose-driven entrepreneurs like you who want to scale your business to 25K consistent months. Yes, even and especially without a big following team or time. You can get $500 off the course right now with the code POD500. That discount ends this week. The link is in my show notes and my Instagram. Now to Alex. I'll tell you a true story. You should actually call me Alex. Everyone calls me Alex. I put my full name professionally on everything written I have, including the front of my book, because I wanted people to know that they were buying from a woman. Mm-hmm. And it's not clear from Alex that I'm a woman. And so um, so my book says Alexandra, and all of my printed materials say Alexandra for that reason. I want people to know who they're getting. Yeah. Um, but my friends call me Alex. So please call me Alex here today. All right. I'll call you Alex. I, the first question I have for you is negotiating what is such a male-dominated world. And the women here know a whole lot about that. They're each paradigm shifters of major industries dominated by men. Who have you become in this process of becoming uh, one of the lead known lawyers at Columbia Law School and professors, author, teacher, motivator. I mean, you have so many different titles. Who have you become in this process? Taking up space. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting, Abby. So I'll say this, and those of you who've published a book know this, that it's like giving birth 
but um, with no drugs, really, and, and being in labor for two years. Um, but it's really two births. It's the birth of the physical product reflecting so much of your work, your sweat equity, and the years of experience that even preceded you putting pen to paper. But it's also the birth of yourself as the expert who wrote that book. So it's two births in one. I would say that I've become a lot of things in one sense. I'm, I'm now an author. I'm a, um, a much more experienced keynote speaker. My mother saw me on television recently and she called me to say, you've gotten really good. And I said, thanks, Ma. She was like, you were good before, but you, you've gotten, you've gotten better. Your mother always knows. Right. I was so, just gonna say, Mom always knows, right? Mom always knows. She was like, you were always good, but this was, this was better. You've improved. So, um, a keynote speaker, I've grown in other areas as well. I've had people reach out to me this year saying, I want high level negotiation or executive coaching. And initially I thought, well, I haven't done that before. And then I remembered I just hadn't been paid for it. Right. Mm -hmm. How many times have people come to you for something? Mm -hmm. Yep. Sherry, that's right. That's in your zone of genius. And you give them brilliant advice for free. And then you realize, oh shit, somebody wants to pay me for this advice, right? And so I took the leap. I'm now a negotiation coach and an executive coach. And I figured out I'm really good at it. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, I've become a lot of things. On the other hand, I want to tell you, Abby, that all I've done in the last few years is step into the full power that I always had, but was afraid to embrace. I think sometimes as women, we're scared of not having enough power. And sometimes we're scared of the tremendous power we have. And maybe other people have been scared of that. And they have tried to make us small or shut us down when we get close to the pressure point, right? Mm -hmm. And I've just decided that I'm not making myself small for anyone, anywhere, anymore. Oh, that hits, that hits really hard for me. I remember about two years ago, two and a half years ago, crying to my therapist saying, I'm afraid to take up more space because I've always been too much or so much. Um, I've always been the leader. I've always been powerful and I'm consistently knocked down through my life. So where was that, you know, I, Oprah ugly cry, come to Jesus moment for you where you gave your last buck pretty much? Yeah. Um, it's been a process of shedding the fucks. I would say I still on any given week, um, you know, there are moments when I feel porous, when somebody's momentary remark or look or whatever, I take that on board and make it about me for a minute before I remember that it's not. And I offload it again. But, you know, for me, Everything happened for me gradually. I, I just want to encourage you that not everybody, right, who's an entrepreneur goes out there all of a sudden, right? And it's full on ovaries to the wall, right? For me, <laughs> I would say, to the wall. I'm that's right. I'm done with the, I'm done with balls, meaning courage, really. Um, too, you know, yeah. it's like you give birth and then come back and let me know. Yeah. So, um, I actually am an accidental entrepreneur. I have a full-time day job. I am a full-time professor at Columbia. I teach classes. I sit on faculty committees. 
I have a full slate of work and grading that I have to do later this week in between keynotes and workshops and coaching and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So from September to December, and then from uh, mid-January again to the end of April, I have a full-time job and I work in everything else on the side. But I initially, Abby, was in denial that I had like a real second job at all. It kind of happened incrementally. So when my daughter was young, she had a serious medical issue that was going to need like very, very expensive treatment. And I remember thinking I was a junior professor, like, how am I going to do this? I have to go out and make a lot more money all of a sudden. And I thought I'm going to have to go out as a paid speaker. And when I tell you, I kind of put that out to the universe. I thought, okay, I'm going to be on the lookout for speaking opportunities. I'm going to tell people I'm available. First opportunity came a month later. And I started speaking. I got referrals from every single one of those. And then finally, I realized that I had built up over time a multiple six-figure speaking business purely on word of mouth, like on the side. Right. And it took my husband coming to me with the tax returns to be like, um, only Alex would build a multiple six figure side hustle accidentally. Can we just say that real quick? I just, you know, it's like sometimes you're in it, but, but I want to say every woman here can relate at some point because you do the work, right? You do the work that you have to do in front of you that day. And you're so busy. You do the work. Maybe you have kids, maybe you have other family or pets that you are attending to. You have other shit to handle in your life. And all of a sudden you look up and you're like, crap, I just did a lot of stuff. And it kind of happened to me over time. And then at those engagements, I would get off the stage and people would say to me, this was incredible. Where can we go to read more about your work? Mm -hmm. And I had to refer them every time to a book written by a man. And they were all men, 20 years older than me, affiliated with Harvard. Okay. Yep. And always with a number attached to them, like William Hendrick the seventh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a club, right? I mean, and I remember looking at that and there was one day that I got off the stage and I thought, fuck this. I am not going to do another event where at the end I recommend a man's book. I'm going to write my own book. And so I started that process in 2019. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing because I was scared that my idea sucked. And (laughs) so when I tell you I'm a professor at an elite institution, I have lots of friends with agents and all that. I asked no one. I Googled how to write a nonfiction book proposal. And I did it based on what I learned on the internet. I slid into the DMs of a mom I met in yoga class who I knew was a ghostwriter for famous celebrities. I asked her how I should do it. She was like, you have a good idea. You should write this. And I submitted it cold to agents. I cold called the agent I wanted, wrote her an email, and that's how I landed my book deal. So truly, yeah, you can. And my book went to auction. A lot of people bid on it because it was a good idea. And they looked out in the field and they were like, gee, you know, the field's all men. (laughs) And I'm like, no shit. It is all men. And, and they, what I thought might be a disadvantage turned out to be my most powerful market advantage because I had blue ocean, right? I had a concept nobody had written about and I was a person who had not been heard from. And so 
you know, I would say it's been step by step by step by step that I've grown into the fullness of myself as a person and as a full-time entrepreneur and CEO on top of my day job. Holy shit, Alex. Okay. I want to get in to the nitty gritty in a little bit, just like literally book proposal, paid speaking, all like the nitty gritty, but let's sit high level for a second and talk about boundaries. Because I feel like this is something that we all still negotiate. And I love your, you know, when I met you on Clubhouse, you were speaking about boundaries and why we don't do things for free. <laughs> and as someone with a Care Bear Stare biggest heart in the world, there is a part of me that wants to give everything away for free. I don't believe in capitalism. And then another part, I'm like, no, but I deserve this. I've earned this. And it's still something I struggle with. Yeah. I mean, here's, here's what I would say, you know, like normalized negotiation. Let's be candid, Abby. We negotiated, right? You asked me yeah. to do this. And I basically said, I would love to, from what you described, this is exactly my demo. These are the people to whom I would want to speak. What can you do in terms of books or anything else to support me? Yeah. Right. So that it's a mutual value exchange. Abby and I are still friends. We are on the phone here today. Nobody died. Nothing happened, right? We just had an honest conversation where, right, you said, here's what I can do. And I said, here's something I need. And we figure it out, right? I mean, that's, that's negotiation. And so these days, I mean, I'll give you an example. I've had people ask me to do all sorts of stuff today, okay? And some of it was free. And here's the thing. I'm like you. I'm a giver. I'm mission driven. I got to this place because I'm really good at serving people, right? That's what yeah. got me to where I am. That's what got all of you yep, to exactly. where you are, right? Is that you're mission driven and that you serve people. Okay. Now, think about it. If I told you as a friend that I was overloaded and I had too much stuff because I was giving away my time for free, you would tell me, Alex, it's not possible for you to effectively continue to serve if you are pouring from an empty cup, if you are overcommitted, or if you are feeling resentful, right? Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing, you know, when people overload you and you don't hold your boundaries, you show up as less than your full self. You know, you're yeah. not happy to be there. It's not a mutual value exchange that doesn't benefit you and it does not benefit them. Okay. So some examples of what you can do, for example, somebody wrote to me this morning and said, Alex, I saw you last week speak. It was incredible. Would love for you to do this pro bono event that would serve all of these communities. And I wrote back and I said, I am full on uh, pro bono speaking for the summer. If you come back to me in the fall, um, I'll do something with my students as a learning project and that we can do for free, right? It, it's not a can't serve you. It's a, here's how I can serve you. If somebody writes to me and says, Alex, I have this speaking opportunity, you know, for this smaller group and, um, we can't pay. I might say, so, um, I can't do it. Right. I do only paid speaking. May I recommend somebody for you? Right. right. And, and right. I have a Rolodex of people that I can do other times. Here's the thing. Somebody might say to me, can you do this? It could be I get all sorts of um, requests to speak at different places or be on different things. And I might just write and say to that person, I am so honored that you thought of me. And right now, I'm not doing these types of events. I'm focusing on a book proposal and other things in my business. 
I wish you all the best. And I know it's going to be a success. Keep in touch. That's it. See, what I find so interesting about this is something I heard recently that only people who don't hold their own personal boundaries have issues with others holding theirs. And when you mentioned to me when we were chatting and you said, all right, let's talk about what that would look like for you know how long and coming on in those pieces. And, and for what you asked, I didn't boff at it. I didn't think anything. In fact, I told Molly, um, we need to buy more books. I need to make sure that every single person that comes into my world has your book, Alex. So actually we're buying twice as many as you and I agreed to. Not for any other reason than I just think that you're the shit. And it wouldn't, it didn't, but I didn't have any issue. And obviously, like you said, we're, we're friends, we're here. Yeah. Like it's, it's no big deal. And I have to remember that when I do the same thing back to someone else, I only want to attract women who also understand their own personal boundaries. I don't want to be around or surround myself with people who don't understand theirs. I, I can't coach them. I'm not at that. That's not my space to be in. Yeah. That gets to be okay. You know, I reached out this morning to another professor from an institution who's reached a level of success that I can only look up at and say someday. Okay. Right. Cause there's no matter where you are, there's oh, yeah. always someone you can look up to. I wrote him a note and asked if we could grab a few minutes to talk. And he wrote back immediately and was like, this sounds great. I'm totally overcommitted. Let me know who I can recommend to you. Bam. Right. I mean, great. right. And I remember thinking instead of thinking, well, what a jerk, how could he not make time for me? I thought, what a boss. He responded immediately. He provided value. He set down his boundary far from not respecting him. I thought, shit, right? Like I have to start doing this more. Okay. So truly boundaries are your friend. I think Abby, that's really wise that not only does it protect your space, it makes sure that you're then in community with people who mm -hmm. respect you. Mm -hmm. And, and that is really important. I will say I'm now 45 and it's really been in my 40s. You know, when I turned 40, um, a friend of mine said, welcome. And I said, to what? And she said, to your fuck you 40s. And um, ah. were you no longer, you know, I hit give... it a little early and I'm here for it. I'm loving it over here. Right, right. I know that's what I'm saying. I'm glad oh you made gosh. it in your, in your 30s. That's fantastic, right? So for me, like now, I am really blessed to have people around me who don't give a shit how many books I sell. They don't need me to be anything like a level of clout in order to hang out with me, but they fully support me in everything I'm doing. And they don't need me to be small either, right? Mm -hmm. They are a hundred percent in my corner, just the way I'm a hundred percent in their corner. And I'm now surrounded by people who practice privately what they preach publicly. Mm. Isn't that wealth, Alex? Yeah. When you get to the, the fuck you stage, isn't, isn't that success when you show up fully and are supported behind the scenes in rooms that you're not even in? Isn't yeah. that it? it? I mean, that's success. And it's also when I'm in rooms where other people aren't mm -hmm. and I can open the door. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm... I should say I do a ton of paid speaking. Okay. A lot. I've never been busier, in fact, than I have been during the pandemic. And I launched my book in quite a different oh, environment than I thought, which we can, which we can talk about. But I, I want to be candid about something, right? So 
yes, I'm a woman and I faced some discrimination. I'm also a white woman. So there's a lot of discrimination that I have not faced. And I get invited into a lot of DEI spaces. And let's be honest, part of the reason I'm there is because I'm just diverse enough. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I actually heard a woman speak back in the fall of 19. We were at this really powerful summit for women, black women. And she got up on stage and talked about how she had worked so hard to get her book deal because almost every publisher told her there was no market for her book, which was written primarily for women of color. Okay. I did not get that message. I had publishers lining up to buy my book and that she'd had trouble securing um, speaking gigs where people were paying her appropriately. And I remember hearing her and feeling convicted, like, this is wrong. And I have to do everything possible to change this. And I didn't tell her this, but I made a commitment that at every speaking event I did in 2020, I was going to have a slide about her book and recommend her to be the company's next speaker. Mm -hmm. When I tell you, okay, she sold thousands of books. <laughs> um, and not only did she sell thousands of books, I've never gotten more referrals in my life than I did from taking time out of my talk to recommend another woman. Mm -hmm. That was the number one thing that companies remarked about me. Like this speaker just recommended that somebody buy somebody <laughs> else's book. Okay. And this woman and I are now close friends. We collaborate. We share info about pricing behind the scenes. She is now, God bless her, making more money than I am for her speaking engagements and well-deserved. It is like beyond time for Black women to be paid. And that is success. Success is like getting the bag and bringing somebody with you, yes. right? In the spaces yes. where you have access and they may not. Later this week, we are speaking at an event where I'm opening it up and then she's the keynote fireside chat with the chairman at the company, right? And like, oh, that is success. That's, that's basically exactly. what you work for. I was saying um, recently that it's really about not fighting over a chair any longer, right? But building a longer table because we're at a place now where we have to pull each other up with us. I want to get in just a, just a one quick question that's a little more of the woo-woo instead of the do. Um, I want to sit with how you're able to navigate your energy because as a woman in such a male-dominated space, how do you hold your feminine energy, your creativeness, your, your love, your willingness, obviously, to support and to let others be seen? All of these pieces that make the feminine how do you hold that when you've got absolutely no one else around you? Yeah, and I will say, Abby, it is changing, right? There are there are women in my space and we collaborate, we work together on Clubhouse. I'm in a lot of rooms where women are leading the way and I love it. I feel very comfortable there. I will say that holding that energy, I'll be totally honest, it's a battle for me, okay? Yeah. I used to think, and I still fall into this trap, that to be the expert, right, mm -hmm. in an arena and on social media means that I just have to be telling you what to do. Yep. And I can let the curtain down a little bit. I can let you know maybe there was a time when I had some imposter syndrome and I got through it. Okay. I, I can I can do a little bit of that like curated authenticity. Okay. <laughs> I love it. But right, but but I can't get like 
really real. And then I published a book during a pandemic. And um, the day my book came out, I got two calls. One was um, from my publishing team telling me like in tears that there had been a major error and that Amazon through that error had received none of my books. And so that none of my Amazon sales would count for week one. That was 70% of the sales that I had. <gasps> yep. That was my best shot at all of the bestseller list. Um, and right. So that was the first call. The second call was from my dad's hospice facility telling me up. that, that he had contracted COVID and they didn't expect him to live. Okay. Alex. So in that moment, right, it's like, it's literally 8 a.m. And my social media team has all of this promo ready to go. And I had a decision. And I called up and I was like, pull it all. And instead, I pulled out my phone and I recorded a message saying, today was supposed to be the happiest day of my life, right? And instead, I am coming on here to ask for your help because my dad is probably not going to make it. And I can't do this. I can't get out and promote this book this week. Um, I need you to help me. Thank you so much. Please pray for my family. And when I tell you, I cried all over my fucking social media. I mean, I cried. I, it was like I had photo shoots. I cried. It turned out I was supposed to go to the bookstore and see my book. It was me heaving in front of the bookstore, which had, in support of me, my local bookstore made their entire window full of my book, right? Oh, my local wow. town bookstore. And the pictures are of me like bent over in half, like sobbing in front of the bookstore at everything that was lost. Um, I realized that it's not just like letting the curtain down a little bit. I realized, in fact, that when I lay my fucking guts out on social media, that people connect to me. That's actually like my power. I wrote a post yesterday that went viral on LinkedIn and got tremendous engagement on Instagram. And it was just something I had been thinking about every time somebody asks me, like, why do you only have one child? And like, what Ooh. the real answer to that question is. And like, how maybe on the back of Infertility Awareness Week, we don't want to be talking to people about why they didn't produce our perfect version of a family, right? And maybe yeah. whatever their family, you know, configuration is that that should be worthy of love and respect. That's not really about negotiation, except to the extent it's about internal dialogue and relationships. But that, it turns out, is also the shit that people want to hear about. They don't want your canned promo, right? No. They want to know who the person is. And P.S., my father is still alive. He beat oh. COVID. He beat it again in January. I just saw him two weeks ago. He's still in hospice, right? So like, he's not going to get better from his brain disease, but he made it. And, and we didn't make the New York Times, which was my big, big goal and what I was obsessed with, but we made the Wall Street Journal business bestseller list, which was the first time a woman had done that. And we did it with 25% of my fucking sales because we had so yeah. many in the can that week because I worked so hard, like a military style operation because I was like, I'm going to make the bestseller list if it kills me because yeah. 
like I've got women riding on my back. Like this yeah. is about the social proof. It has to happen. So I had this whole plan, which we could talk about. And even with that disaster in week one, we ended up, you know, doing great and, and got what we needed for the book. So, so it's still a battle for me. I posted that post yesterday and like, I'd love to tell you that I felt great about holding my feminine energy on the internet. But the truth is I had a complete like vulnerability heart attack and had to go like read some celebrity gossip for a couple of hours to like decompress for that. It is, I still am in very male dominated spaces and I still work on unapologetically holding the feminine wherever I go. But it's a battle I'm going to continue to fight because it means a lot to people is what I'm realizing when they see that reflected out there in the public arena. Yes. It's Brene Brown says the vulnerability hangover. Uh, It's a real thing. I go to TikTok. I go to TikTok and watch puppy videos. Yeah. It's a thing. It's a thing. thing. So I I just want to say, like, if you struggle with that, I am right there with you. And I will probably continue to struggle with this it might be for the rest of my life. And so that's just part of my story and mm-hmm. where I am. And, and so no, if you see a personal post from me, leave me a comment. Cause I'm, yeah. cause I'm, I'm looking at it like this through my fingers, like, okay. So text okay. the women that you're seeing here and we'll say, I just, you know, gave a bikini wax of the soul. Could you just please like it or talk, say something? Cause this is just, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. A lot. I mean, I use the F word pretty much on the daily Alex. And I still feel like, I mean, I personally in the last um, week, I just did a post and I'm stepping away from social for a few weeks. I found myself going into a shame spiral comparisonitis. Oh, it's just not authentically me. And I just needed a break. And I, my mental health has to come first. And that's it's, okay. And that gets so to be okay much. too. Yeah, it, it, we need to normalize the rest. I will tell you that I wanted to write a book for years, but it wasn't until I was forced to take rest because I needed major orthopedic surgery and like couldn't move for months that I ended up writing the idea because I needed that time to fully unplug and decompress. Um, and so I fully support that. And, and also social media is just, it's like the worst of the comparison game. Oh my God. You know, it's like, you can feel like you work so hard and I feel this way. I'll never forget. Like a month ago, I looked on clubhouse and I was like, Hey, I'm building up a following. And then I looked at like the alpha male, who's like the head of my field. And, um, the guy showed up and got 10 times the followers, like from a couple of rooms. And I put my head down and I cried because I remember thinking like, what the fuck is the point? Like, why am I working so hard when some people can just show up and it feels easy? And then I talked to a friend of mine who has a big following on Instagram and I know her really well. And she was like, I've been feeling really down recently because I built my thing to six figures. It took years and an account that you know, I helped last year went from zero to a million overnight. And she's like, right. And she's like, and I'm wondering what I'm doing wrong. And I thought, okay, so it's not just me, right? Literally everybody. Alex, you don't even know how much that helps me. So maybe this is going to help somebody else as well. I was sitting in bed crying and I, and I, I was truly depressed and I was pissed at myself 
for being depressed over social media. I knew not to be, and I couldn't help it because I felt like I had built this very beautiful, lucrative, positive business based off of social media. And it did really well, but I have helped multiple people do exactly that and surpass in one year that took me, of course, more than a decade of really becoming this person you see now. And I said, what's the fucking point? Like, why? What the actual fuck? And then I go on Clubhouse, Alex. And luckily, I went twice and I met you. So, you know, it all worked out fine. (laughs) But I go on and as I like to say, it's a bag of dicks. I can't do it. It's like, look at my stacked Lambos, eight figure. Like, I just- It's a lot. I can't. It's, yeah, I I really choose my spaces. I'm I'm in spaces with wonderful yeah. supportive women. I've made great connections on Clubhouse. I, you know, you got to take the way. good, yeah. right? You got to take the good and just in the end, Ugh. I keep telling myself I have to run my own race, right? Yes. And the true the same is true for each one of you. You know, at, at the end of my life, I'll be honest, if, if I look at some of the bigger people out there in my field and in other fields, that's not where I would want to be. Yeah. And, and I, I truly would not trade who I am, what I'm building and who I serve. You know, think about like, who do I want to serve and what do I want to enable them to do in the world? I wouldn't trade. And I know that going forward, I'm just going to lean into more of the ways that I want to serve. There's a lot out there for everyone. And so, but it's hard. Some days you just got to put on the blinders and stay in your lane. Before we get into the nitty gritty, last question, because, you know, it is your zone of genius here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about negotiations. We haven't even gotten into the thing that Alex is known for because holy shit, you're even more magnificent and brilliant than I could have hoped for. Holy shit. Can, you, can I just say really quickly, thank you for being you. Just thank you for all that I don't even know that took you to become who you are. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, like, times a million. Truly, 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 you are a gift. Thank you. So let's talk about negotiations. What do we do? Let's talk about, like, the big pause. Like, when you when you put a number out there, being comfortable sitting in the uncomfortable pause while someone reacts and not jumping in and saying, okay, but I can offer this other thing for free or let me discount. Can we just talk about some of like brass tacks negotiations? Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk about pause, but I'm not going to let you start there because that's actually, so that is like, you are 80% done with the negotiation already. So for those of you who are wanting to really level up your negotiation game, first thing I want you to know is it's just a conversation. and negotiation is not just the money conversations. It's not just the back and forth, like right before you close the deal. It's every conversation where you're steering a relationship with someone. And so if you are someone who's really good at gaining people's trust, if you are a relationship person that people know that they want to be in community with and partner with for the long term, then congratulations, you're a great negotiator, okay? The first step is for you to be asking yourself questions, right? So remember how, you know, you're, you have that question of like, should I accept this free gig? You know, what should I charge? All of this, that like important information comes as a result of self-knowledge. Negotiation doesn't start from the moment that Sherry and I sit down and we start talking. It starts at home with me. 
and me asking myself the questions that I wrote in Ask for More. So what's the problem I'm looking to solve, you know, in this negotiation? At the beginning of my speaking career, some of the problems I wanted to solve were establishing my credibility, building a book of referrals, right? And so the first gig I negotiated for reflected that. They couldn't pay me market. I asked for it. We went a couple of rounds. I maxed them out on the money. And so I negotiated for a set of professional pictures of me Mm -hmm. with the company's logo in the background, right? And also a high-placed referral. Those things went on to produce me a lot of money, right? So if you know the problems you're looking to solve and then what you need from a negotiation, that can be the bedrock of then that clarity, right? So if Christine is facing the client and they're like, well, here's what we can do, and they go back and forth, And then the final package, when she looks at her needs and they don't line up, that's clarity. And then that enables you to say, you know, I have loved chatting with you. I would love for us to work together in the future. Here's what I need to really make this work. And so if and when there's a moment that this also works for you, give me a call and I would love to work together, right? So I made a decision um, this year, right? I had been taking speaking engagements at like a variety of fees. And this year I was like, I am too busy. My flow is crazy. I am not speaking for under five figures, period. No matter what the organization is. If it's a larger company, you know, they're paying more than the bare uh, five figures. But I'm not speaking anywhere for under five figures. And when I tell you, I had a couple moments that were painful where somebody wrote me and they're like, Alex, we spoke to you last fall and we worked super hard and we can do seven. And I had to write back and say, I'm so appreciative of your effort. And here's what I'm going to tell you actually, right? So my prices have gone up. It's a new year. I've been doing a ton of speaking. Here's the thing. At least 50% of the time, they come back and they make it work. They come back and they're like, well, what if we combine departments? Great. I can do more people. Totally fine. Let's hook it up. This way I get what I need. You get what you need. Um, So truly, right? Like that comes from me looking at my needs. What is it that I need this year? But also it comes from examining my feelings. Okay. If you write down your feelings about an upcoming negotiation and if you find that people are making proposals or you have a client who's constantly nibbling at your boundaries and you're feeling resentful, mm-hmm. that is a really powerful clue that you need to change what you are charging or something else about that situation. In fact, if you can't figure out what you need in a scenario, write down everything you feel. And this is, this is a great tip, whether it's a personal relationship or a business relationship. If you can't figure out what you need, write down everything you feel and then every negative emotion, flip it around and that's what you need, right? If it's that you feel, right, disrespected, now you know what you need. If you feel that your your, um, expertise is not being honored, now you know what you need. If you feel as though your time is being overstepped, yep. that's what you need on the flip side, right? So over and over again, oh, looking wow. at any emotions that come up for you, mm-hmm. flip it around and that concrete what you do need, that's what you should be negotiating off of. You know, the, the truth is that, especially as an entrepreneur, and I know this for speaking, 
There's a range of what I could hypothetically be worth or um, charge on the market based on different conceptions of how people frame it up, right? And Sherry, I see you nodding because it's like, you know, whether it's a product or a service, depending on how you frame it, it could be within a certain range, maybe even a broad range. Within that range, your worth is what you say it is, Mm -hmm. okay? And also... These days, if there's a range, I charge what makes me want to show up for the job. Full stop, right? What is it that's going to make me feel really happy to go and do that for you? So that company that worked for like five months to be able to come at at my old budget, and I wrote them back and I was like, bad news, prices have gone (laughs) up, right? And when I tell you they, they took a few days and I paused also, Abby, you you know, the pause you talked about, you can do that in person. You can also do it over email because they wrote back and they were like, Oh yeah, we can't do that. Can you do it for seven? I just didn't answer the email right away. I waited a couple days. Look at when I tell you, when I tell you they came back, Sheree, and they were like, actually, we have an idea. Mm, right. And that was when they said we could do this. And I thought I, I just did it. It's the power of the pause. It's what I call landing the plane. Right. Yep. When you, you talk to someone, you know, you ask them a lot of great questions. Tell me about your company. Tell me your greatest needs. What are your pressure points right now? What would an amazing success look like for you from our collaboration together? So the foundation is always questioned. Then based on the answers to that, I say, well, you know, Shelly, you've told me that your greatest five needs are these. Here's how I'm going to deliver on those. And the investment for this is blank. Yep. And then you just sit. Yeah. And then I just sit. And if you're nervous, I have a trick for you. Okay. okay. If, you're on, if you're on Zoom or WebEx or whatever it is, if you're nervous, don't look at the person's face. Stare into the lens of the camera like I'm doing right now. In this way, you're giving them powerful eye contact. And if you can't bear to say that price while you're looking at their face, just stare right in the camera and say, that's going to cost you a lot of money. All right. And that's it. And, and truly there have been a couple times, every time I raise my prices and I'm like, well, here goes. Right. Yeah. And I do that. And if I'm feeling nervous at all, I stare in the camera and then I pause and, um, it really works. People like in the end, you're valuable. That's why you're here. Right. And, and I truly believe that if I deliver that number unapologetically and I show them how that is justified more often than not, I'm going to be successful. And here's the other thing. What happens if somebody says no, or they're like, eh, I'm not sure. Okay. That's not the end of the conversation. I don't then say, well, actually I can come down. No, I simply say, what are your concerns? Somebody says, we can't do the deal at that level. What are your concerns? Well, we, um, you know, they might say to you, for example, well, my speaker budget is used up for the second quarter. So I don't have that until third quarter. Well, great. Would it help then if we got back in touch at the end of June mm-hmm. and planned something for next quarter? Or they might say to me, well, Alex, we can't, we can't pay you that much because the budget for our department is only um, $5,000. And in that case, I would say to that person, you know, I've heard this so many times before. This is very common. 
And would it help for you um, to hear what my other clients have done? For example, I've taught three departments at once. It's totally possible over Zoom. We can give lots of individual interaction and then three departments benefit and you're able to meet my speaker fee. Other things I've done, you know, I'm wondering, for example, if your client development budget is separate from your internal training budget, because if it is, why don't we do a negotiation event for your women and your women clients? And I'll even do a prep call with your partners and the powerful women at your clients. We'll make it a big celebratory thing where they get to participate in crafting the workshop. And then it's a slam dunk. Let me help you develop business. Right? Like, truly, there are so many ways for me to be able to deliver value even after somebody's like, eh, I don't know or I'm not sure. So it always comes back to questions. I simply ask them to tell me their concerns and then I find a way to meet their concerns and also meet what I need. It is so not only brilliant, obviously, your tips, but just from a personal level to I have never heard a woman explain negotiating in my entire life. I am realizing in this moment, I have full body chills about how beautiful this moment is for powerful leaders to watch another powerful woman explain negotiating. I tell a story that when I was in the TV business, I never had an agent negotiate my contracts. I did them all myself. And I was sitting in front of my boss and he writes a number down on a piece of paper and slides it across the table. And I look at, I go to grab the piece of paper and my boss says, no, you sit there. And I said, I'm sorry. And he goes, and he winks and he goes, you sit there now. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'm uh, all of 26 at this point, negotiating to get another TV show. And, and then he says, don't look at the paper and say, whatever it is, I'm sure it's not enough and slide it back to me. And I said, oh, okay, whatever this is, is not enough. And he goes, wow, you're a real tough negotiator. Guess like I should probably come up some more. And then he slides back the number to me and he says, now look at the number. And I was like, okay, I looked at the number. And he said, now sit there. And I said, and do what? And he's like, make it sweat. And I was like, oh, okay. And I sat there and I was like, do I say anything yet? And he was like, no, no, keep going. And I was like, oh, oh, I like the number. He was like, that doesn't matter. (laughs) Sat there for like another minute. And then he was like, what else do you need? And I said, oh, okay. Um, more vacation time on top of this and a different producer. And he was like, great, wonderful negotiating with you. And if I hadn't had that, I would have worked for $30,000 less yep. and three weeks less of vacation at NBC. But yep. one man gave me the time. And now I'm thinking, Alex, what a profound gift you're giving so many people because we don't get trained. Yeah. We don't get trained at this shit. Well, and and more than that, we get taught the message that it's not acceptable for us to do that, that we won't yeah. be nice, we won't be collaborative, we'll turn people off, right? Yes. And so I, I will say, I think it's really powerful when a senior man helps out a woman in that way. And I do know a lot of my powerful female friends we're fortunate to have somebody senior yeah. who sat them down and say, all right, here's how you play, right? Yeah. And, and to give them powerful advice. 
you know, and, and for me, I'll leave you with this maybe before we do some questions. For me, that advice came from a woman. Mm-hmm. I was about to negotiate my first salary and I got a good offer. It, you know, looking back now, I realized that somebody probably gave me a range that was low. And so the offer was above what I expected. Mm-hmm. So for a moment, I thought, should I just take this? But I said, thank you. I'm going to run my numbers. And I went and called a senior woman and she said, um, here's what you're going to do. You were going to go back in and you were going to ask for more. Because when you teach someone to value you, you teach him how to value all of us. And so remember that if you're not going to go in and negotiate for yourself, you're going to do it for the woman who's coming after you, Mm -hmm. do it for the sisterhood. Mm -hmm. And so I want to leave you with that because I think sometimes we think that pushing the paper back and saying, whatever it is, I'm sure it's not enough, right? Um is selfish and it's actually an act of service. It normalizes what it is for a woman to claim her value. And so the next woman who walks into that office isn't going to face a hurdle that's quite that high because you will have knocked it down for her. So um, it's it's a powerful way. If you are mission-driven, if you are service-oriented, then you owe it to yourself and the sisterhood to negotiate for your worth. Exactly. Alex, I am, the word humble is the best way. I I am humbled at being able to be in your brilliance today. You are such a joy in this world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to open up for just a couple questions, if that's okay. My question is, what are some tips that you would give a woman of color who wants to negotiate um, her salary, uh, speaking fee, when the person you're negotiating with already has an unconscious bias of how much they think you should be paid. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love it. Okay. So first of all, um, Sheree, I'm so glad you asked this question. Thank you. And I, I appreciate that. My main goal in life is um, to practice in private what I preach in public. It's the same standard that I hold my collaborators to. So I would, I want to recommend to you um, the resource that was written by my friend, Minda Hartz. Do you have that book called The Memo? Um, it's uh, what women of color need to know to secure their seat at the table. I will say also for um, my white sisters in the audience today and who might be listening to this later on, there's also a powerful chapter in there about how we can go beyond allyship to be real thought partners and success partners for our sisters of color in the workplace. So I highly recommend it to you. And um, the name of it is in the chat. So for the firsthand experience, I want to direct you there because I can't speak to it. But I will say for this, you know, and I, I coach actually a large number of senior women of color who are breaking into the C-suite or who are entrepreneurs. And I, you know, they say, can I make who I am part of the equation. And I say, really, you should. I mean, I would be going in. This is what I say to companies that want to hire me. If they say, well, you know, can you take a lot less? I would say, listen, you know, you're bringing me in because you believe in equipping women to ask for their work. Mm-hmm. That's what you're bringing me in to train your women to do. And I appreciate it. That's the type of partner I want. And what kind of trainer would I be? if I didn't practice this mission in my private life. That's it. They pay the fee, right? Okay. 
So I would I would remind people, I would congratulate them on. Um, so is, is this in an remind me, um, Sheree, is this in an entrepreneurial context or a corporate context? Give me an example of what you're um, asking for. I would say both because okay. I'm in I am an entrepreneur, but I negotiate a lot with corporate and I'm in corporate. I see. Okay. So you are like me. You're kind of in both worlds. Okay. I would say in both of those worlds, all right, you definitely want to be front loading with questions because you want to figure out all of their pressure points, right? So what's everything they, they need? What are their concerns? Um, you know, if, what are the problems they're looking to solve in their business? You want to be asking a lot of powerful questions up front, starting with what, how, or tell me. If they are giving you problems with paying what you're worth, right? You know, I would, you want to focus them on the evidence and say, look, so um, market value is here, right? I mean, and I would encourage you, feel free to check any of the resources that I did or to look around out there. I'm confident this is the right number, you know, and I, I just want to say that I've always appreciated that this company has promoted and supported women of color. And I appreciate that support going forward. It means a lot to me. And I know that when I'm serving in this higher position, I'm going to be able to bring everything that I am mm -hmm. to that role and let people know that this is a place where women of color can succeed and thrive. I would put that shit out there because here's the thing, Sheree, they need you. Okay. Yes. You know, right. That is yes. the thing. I, I was counseling. This is a woman who I know very well, who's much more junior, right? She graduated from Columbia Law School um, a couple of years ago. And here's what they did. They loaded her up with the diversity committee and the recruiting black women events and blah, 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 right? All this extra stuff that you probably get asked to do too, right? That's like beyond your job description. And so she finally went in and said, so here's all the work that I've been doing and all the ways in which the company has asked me to be the face of the company, and you're not giving me enough substantive work. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm going to need the company to be as focused on my development as it has been on showcasing me outside of the firm. When I tell you, okay, <laughs> oh, this is good. She was assigned like three senior mentors. They are focused now because she was like, you will not be using my face yep. to recruit people and not giving me what I need to get advanced. So I, I hope that's helpful to you, Sheree. Just know you are the asset, period. Ooh, thank you. That was beyond more than what I was expecting. That was powerful. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad. Use it and keep me posted. I will, for sure. You are powerful, you. Sheree. You are powerful. You are powerful. I keep hitting a fucking wall when it comes to getting paid for speaking. Yep. And I know part of it is me not upholding the boundary. So I am owning my piece of this. I'm so curious. So how did you get the ball rolling? So getting extremely clear, not just on, right? Because here's the thing. You can be a gifted speaker and have a crazy background like you, okay? Mm -hmm. And it still isn't quite enough to get paid. And so making the value proposition, right? <laughs> right? Okay. So I would say, right, in addition to your sterling resume and your natural abilities, okay, um, 
making clear the audience and the value proposition, right? I speak to blank to enable them to do blank, right? So I speak to whole companies, right? But, but I would say my core, I get brought in through the women's initiative or DEI probably 80% of the time, right? So my okay. core might be, you know, I equip high powered women right, to negotiate for their worth, which drives massive results for them and their teams, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. An unspoken part of what I deliver is that I'm part of what enables a woman, whether it's at Oracle or Pfizer or wherever it is, I'm part of what enables that woman to know that her company cares and that Mm -hmm. her company is supporting her and that Oracle is a place that she wants to stay and work because they bring powerful women in to speak to other powerful women, okay? So that's all part of like nailing in a sentence your value proposition. I also would want to creep through your um, LinkedIn and all that. Didn't quite have time, but I want to tell you that I used to, Shelly, make a mistake. I used to basically say, hello, here I am speaking at um, NBC Universal today. and. Um, here I am speaking at um, Bloomberg in-house. That's not what got me the big dollars. What got me the big dollars, in addition to the book, is giving people free samples online, saying, here are the three questions mm. you should be teaching in your negotiation, right? So show, don't tell. Here's a video of me talking about you know, what it means to use silence in a negotiation and how powerful mm. it is. And when I started giving free samples, especially video, and people could see what it looked like to have me speak, that was the shit that made them want to buy. It's like my friends who have this, you know, artisan bakery, their stuff is unbelievable. They give out tons of free samples, right? Because it's the best. And you have a sample of that and you're like, I guess I'm going to have to pay seven bucks for a brownie because it's just that good. Okay. So that's my advice to you outside of there. And then, you know, my next advice to you would be, yeah, don't give up so easily, right? Like, mm-hmm. so again, I would say even with Abby, right? I'm like, so I speak, you know, I get a lot of speaking requests. I normally speak for a lot of money. Tell me more about your membership. What does this look like? What are other ways that we could support my work? Same thing, except it's on a company level. It's simply saying, you know, I recognize that you guys might have, right? budget constraints or different ways that you work, I'm sure you also appreciate, right? That, you know, I need to be compensated for my time, right? This is how this works. And so what other options do we have to explore? But I would also ask them, I would really find out, Shelly, like, is it the case that this is one of these things like, for example, talks at Google, right? where that's free. Okay. You are just lucky to darken the door at talks at Google. And if you get on that stage, that's like a prestige event and people know it. And like, that's great. Um, but there are plenty of others that are kind of book talks. I went to a, like a Blackstone asked me to come in. Right. And I was like, Chang, you're going to pay my full <laughs> fee. And they actually were like, um, so no, this is our author series. And, um, and they really, I was shocked, but Shelly, for that, they pay something really low or, you know, in my case, you know, they would either buy like 200 books or maybe it was 150 books or something like that really wasn't, it might've worked out to be 150, 
um, really was not a lot, but it's a prestigious group, right? Yeah. You get to say that you've spoken there and, you know, that's what it is. So I would ask them more about how they've worked with people in the past. I don't ask that up front because I prefer to anchor high because I'm not charging for my time or compared to what other people are charging. I'm charging for my value, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to encourage you also is when you're focused on, here's who I serve. I serve blank to enable them to do blank. That helps you then to say, right? The appropriate metric is not who came before. The appropriate metric is, I'm going to enable your people to make six, seven, and eight figures. And so what's that worth to you for 90 minutes of my time, right? That's the message. But if they tell you we really can't do this, then I would say, all right, so talk to me about the holdup, right? I would want to find out more. Is it just, is it the timing? Is it that department? Is it that for authors, they tend not to pay at first? And I have had that, Shelly, before. And I said to them, I was like, I'm sure you get this, but here's the thing. I don't do an intro, okay? I don't do something where if people don't pay me, I give them a quarter of the content. I'm giving you my full value, right? I only know one way to do things, and that's to teach you how to make a lot of fucking money, okay? So in recognition of that, what can you do? And this company that said it's free, they bought 250 books. That's meaningful. And I did go in and blow it out the box. And so for my next speaking engagement with them, they paid me a five-figure fee, right? So I will say there can be that type of thing where if you get in-house, it really works. But I would not do it for free. This is a company. I would have them like do something that's going to be of value to you. And it might even be, you know, Shelly, like thinking about a reference or thinking about being able, you know, to use photos from that event or video from that event. Yeah. I've, I've even asked companies to pull the chat log and I don't use people's names, but I use testimonials. Yeah. Right. I, you know, cause I at, love at the end of my thing, when people are like, Alex, this was the best workshop I've seen in 15 years at the company. You better believe I'm pulling that shit off. Right. Yeah for my testimonials or website, right? So there's all sorts of value that you can get out of it. Alex fucking Carter, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, really. I can't, I can't thank you enough. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Truly my pleasure to be here um, in the company of powerful women. And so, yeah, would love to stay in touch and hear what you take from from the book and our time together. If you get any wins, you better be hitting me up on uh, mm-hmm. LinkedIn or um, uh, elsewhere to let me know. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Full Body Fuck Yes podcast with me, Abby Gibb. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And it would mean the world if you leave a review so others know how kick-ass these episodes are. And I'm a real person over on Instagram. So tag me in an IG story at Abby Gibb and let me know what landed in your heart the most today. Thanks again for listening.